0: Because that feels like a very good thing to do.
1: God, thank you that you're here.
0: Thank you that you love each one of us. Thank you that you're in the stupid games just as much as you're in the serious conversations or the worship or me rambling, please. Thank you that you have something to say to each one of us tonight. That you want us to know you better. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak to us. Make us ready to hear your word. And please help me to speak. Let me know what to say and what not to say. And how to present what you've given me to share tonight. Amen. 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 Right. So today... That's Romans, we're not Romans. Today someone kicked Today we are in Mark 8, which I have now found. Um, so yeah. So uh, we are continuing our work through the book of Mark and looking at the theme of sin, holiness, and God as we study said book. Um, so my goal for this week is basically just for us to understand the passage that we're going to read, um, and I'm going to read you a fairly sizable chunk from chapter eight and also some from chapter nine, because even though it's not my chapter, I'm a maverick and I do what I want, um, so, <laughs> right, I'm going to put it on the screen for you, if anybody does want a Bible, I have some, here. I don't know how legible that is, from the back of the room. Quince, could you read this for us? I wish I could, um, <laughs> <with my glasses. laughs> Charlie, could you read this one? I do need glasses oh as well.
2: I, I just see this one. Okay. Uh, And Jesus went on with his disciples to, disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter we answered him. <laughs> <laughs> how impressed would you have been if I had Massively. been Massively. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. um, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting my mind on things of God, but on things of man.
0: Thank you. Okay. so we will pause there and just talk about this chunk before we move on. Um, So there's a lot of random names and things in here, and we are going to discuss them. So thing one we will go to is Christ. So Peter says to Jesus that he is the Christ. Um, Does anybody know what Christ means?
2: It is. Greek for something. Greek.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>? <laughs> oh well Ish, very ish. I will tell you, how's that? Okay, no, um, so, <laughs> so, Christ is, places right, it is Greek. Um, the word Messiah means the same thing, that's the word in Hebrew, so you might hear them used interchangeably. And what it means is anointed one or chosen one. So, um, if you read the Old Testament, you'll hear about, say, kings being anointed. Um, like literally with oil a lot of the time, but like they're, they're anointing them as king. They're declaring that they are king or that they're going to be king. Um, so this title Christ is like this anointed one, someone who's been chosen for something. Um, and yeah. Um, so yeah, so throughout the Old Testament up to this point, when Jesus is rocking around, um, there have been these promises about this Messiah, this Christ, this chosen one who's going to come. Uh, and the Jewish people are expecting a Messiah. They're expecting a Christ. Uh, so they think that he's going to come and set up a kingdom on earth. All right? uh, so their nation, Israel, is occupied by Rome at this current point in history. So a lot of people are expecting this Messiah to come and like free them from the Romans. Like to come as some kind of conquering warrior king and fight off their enemies and establish this kingdom that God has promised them to have. Um, which is interesting because Jesus accepts what peter says he's like yes i am the christ and then starts talking about how he's going to die how he's going to be killed in fact by the romans uh so he says he's going to suffer and die he's going to rule instead by becoming a servant so he's not really what they were expecting from their messiah Uh, and perhaps understandably since the picture in their heads is of this conquering king people don't actually think that jesus is the messiah some people think that he's you know john the baptist or elijah or some other people um So, just to understand that, let's talk through it. So, who is John the Baptist? Does everybody know? (laughs) You look so excited. Go. He's
2: Jesus' cousin, who baptises people Mm -hmm.
0: in the River Jordan. Mm -hmm. And also, he lives in the desert for a while and eats locusts and wears like skins and stuff. Yeah. 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 I feel like we get on if um, if we're around the same time. (laughs) Exactly. So, we won't dwell on that. So, uh, John... John's Jesus' cousin, or his second cousin, or something like that, um, and he's a prophet who spends a lot of time hanging out in the desert wearing weird stuff and eating weird stuff, because prophets tend to do that in the Bible, um, and he, as Lily has said, he baptises people, uh, he is he's preaching the gospel, actually, before, before, Jesus, before Jesus begins his ministry, John is actually preaching the gospel, he's telling people they need to repent and be baptised, Um, And he's the guy who baptised Jesus. So John has been killed by this point. You can read about that in chapter 6 if you go back a couple chapters. Uh, So some people think that Jesus is somehow John the Baptist resurrected. They're like, this is why he can do all the amazing things he's doing. Because, you know, he he was John to start off with. He was pretty awesome. And now he's resurrected. So he's like, whoa. Um, So some people think he's him. Some people say he's Elijah. Do we know who Elijah is? The last prophet. He's one of the prophets. No. 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 You are incorrect. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on. Malachi is the last prophet, we'll have Demi! Yes, so Elijah is one of the prophets. Do we know anything about him? Anyone yeah. That he'll appear before like comes. Oh, yes! Right. Still on my point. Um, <laughs> we will get there in a second. So Elijah is Old Testament prophet. If you're at Carity Wood, you would have heard Jeeves talking about him. If you've ever heard me talk about the story where there's like a bunch of people on a mountain and then Elijah prays and calls down fire from heaven and it burns everything up and the entire nation turns back to God. It's my favourite Bible story. That is Elijah involved in that one. Um, And, oh, my train of thought is all over the place. Sorry, my brain is mush right now. Um, So, yes, people are expecting Elijah to come before the Messiah does. So there is a a couple prophecies in Malachi, which is the last prophet. Thank you, Debbie. Um, the last book in the Old Testament so there's a couple of prophecies that talk about um, a prophet who's going to come and like prepare the way for the Messiah, and a bit later it names Elijah, uh, so people are expecting Elijah to show up before this Messiah shows up, so they think that Jesus might be this Elijah character um, some people like scholars now old men in stuffy rooms think that um, <laughs> no. Don't I judge me is. for my generalizations. I'll work on that with the Lord later. Um, so some scholars think that uh, John the Baptist was like this Elijah figure. They think it was um, more of a like picture language to talk about a prophet, like a mighty prophet like Elijah who's going to come before the Messiah, which is what John does. Um, and then other people think that it's literally talking about Elijah, and you will see why as we keep on reading. Uh, so that's what... Christ means. Um, that's who Jesus says that he is, or who he accepts that he is. But interestingly, it's not the title he uses for himself. He actually says that he's the son of man. And that's, I think, the most common way that Jesus describes himself. Um, and I know that we have talked, I this computer, I know that we've talked about this before, like what it means, that, like what the term son of man means, and that it comes from, I'm trying to multitask, um, a prophecy in the book of Daniel. But I found this video, while I was prepping this, that I thought was really helpful. So, we're gonna watch this, and you get a break from my voice for a minute. <laughs> okay.
1: If you read the New Testament, you'll notice that the most common title people use to describe Jesus is the Christ. That is the Messiah. But surprisingly, Jesus almost never used that word to describe himself. Instead, he called himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man? What does that mean? Well, the phrase comes from an important chapter in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was an Israelite prisoner of war who was forced to live in the Empire of Babylon and work for the prideful, violent king who destroyed his home. That sounds horrible. Cool. And while he was living and working in Babylon, Daniel had this crazy prophetic training. You ready for it? I'm ready. He saw four beasts crawling out of a dark sea, hybrid monster-like animals, each scarier than the one before. And the fourth beast is so mutant, there's nothing to compare it to. And it's violent, leaving death and destruction in its wake. What in the world is this about? Well, he's told that these beasts symbolize violent, tribal kings and their empires. Ah, like the one Daniel's enslaved to. Yeah, and these creatures might seem random to you, but these images are developing an important biblical theme. How humans are these remarkable creatures, capable of doing great good and horrible evil. How we can behave like animals. Right? Look at the first pages of the Bible. God creates the beasts of the field and humans together, all from the dust. But then, the humans are set apart and given a royal task of being God's image. So humans are like the animals, but called to become much more. Yeah, they're to be God's representatives on Earth, ruling on his behalf, like kings and queens. But keep reading, and the humans are deceived by a beast who says that they could be more than just God's partners. Yeah, that they could rule the world on their own terms, which sounds good to them. But God knows this will be a disaster. And so he expels the humans to the realm of the beasts. The partnership is lost. But God makes a promise that one day a human will be born who won't give in to the beast. Rather, he'll (laughs) overcome and strike the beast while being struck by it. Okay, so for the rest of the biblical story, we're waiting for that human. But instead, in story after story, we find people acting like beasts. Yeah, like in the next story about Cain. He was jealous and angry at his brother Abel. God warns Cain that he's facing a beastly urge called sin. A dark, mysterious kind of evil that consumes humans. But God says that Cain can rule the beast if he chooses. But he doesn't rule the beast. He lets this urge devour him and he becomes a beast. And then after this, Cain's children spread their animal-like violence, and it leads to the founding of a whole civilization known for its beastly pride, the city of Babylon. Okay, Babylon. So fast forward, this is where Daniel is enslaved, having this bizarro dream. Exactly. Now, watch what happens next in Daniel's dream. He sees into God's throne room, where a court is set up, and God condemns the beast to destruction. That's great. And then Daniel sees that there's actually more than one divine throne. Oh, right. The throne that humanity left behind. Right. Right. There hasn't been a human who's able to overcome the beast and rule alongside God until now. Daniel sees a figure called the Son of Man, which means a human. And he rides on a cloud up into God's presence and then sits down on the divine throne to rule the world. The partnership's renewed. Yes, and even more. All humanity worships and serves this Son of Man alongside God. Oh, worship. So this is no ordinary human. This is like a God-human. Exactly. And so now you can see why Jesus of Nazareth, when he came onto the scene centuries later, chose this title, the Son of Man, for himself. He was claiming to be that truly human one on a mission to confront the beast. He was tempted to seize power on the beast's terms. But unlike every human before him, Jesus resisted the urge. And then he went about banishing the beast from people's lives. And he was teaching people how to rule the beast instead of being ruled by it. Okay, so how do you rule the beast? Well, Jesus did it by giving up his life. Wait, rule the beast by dying? Yes. When Jesus was on trial in a human courtroom and being condemned to death, he said, From this moment on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at God's right hand and coming on the clouds. But this is the moment he's about to die. Exactly. From one perspective, the cross looks like a beastly torture device. But Jesus viewed it as his throne. And on this throne, he exposed the subhuman nature of our evil by letting it do its worst. And then he overcame it with his divine life and love. Jesus' execution was his exaltation. So Jesus is the first human to overcome the beast. And as a result, he can partner with God to rule the world. And so now, Jesus is summoning a new humanity into existence, one that can overcome the beast in the same paradoxical way. To rule the beast by dying. And then by discovering that Jesus' life and power can become our life and power. So we can rule the world as God's partners, but Jesus-style, in the power of service, humility, and self-giving love.
0: Cool. You weirdos. So um <laughs> we're just polite. You polite weird. So some of the stuff that they said at the end of that I think is really helpful in understanding what Jesus is gonna say next. So I'm just gonna repeat it. Um Yes, that's what I said. As we keep reading and get into it, I want you to bear in mind the last few things from that video. So we overcome, we rule the beast in the same paradoxical way as Jesus, by dying, and then by discovering that Jesus' life and power become our life and power, so that we can rule the world as God's partners, Jesus-style, in the power of service, humility, and self-giving love. So, um, I think that is what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, Toby, can you read this for us?
2: And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does a prophet gain, the whole world, and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me, of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them,
0: truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it is come with power. Thank you. So do you see that here? Like, whoever's going to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. It's this paradoxical thing that they're talking about, that you win and you rule and you live by dying. Um, yeah, that's what that's getting at, I think. So I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, so we will keep reading. Who wants to read this for me? Go,
1: Artemis. <laughs> and, after, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John
0: and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Thank you. Uh, So this is, you might be glad to know the last bit we're going to read. so, things do you say? transfigured means like transformed or changed, just in case you're wondering. Uh, and we've got Elijah here, which is what I was talking about before, why some people think that it's a literal prophecy in Malachi that Elijah's gonna come before the Messiah, because you've literally got him showing up here. Um, so, we know who he is. Who is Moses? Yes. Two. Do we know any more than Ethan's magnificent display? Let's have
2: Ethan act. What is it? Mean, I mean, first of all, like freed like everyone from everything. Yeah. Also, it went up to everything.
0: Sinai, and God's like, "Here, have a drink
2: of
0: Yes. Then,
1: yeah. But then they were like, "Okay, what's made a mistake?" And then, you know, got
0: some All of that yeah. stuff. Good. So, thank you. Um, so Moses didn't quite save all the people from all the places, but um, God sent him to get the um, Hebrews out of Egypt. Uh, God did some awesome stuff. Moses was like, well, cool, and then they crossed the Red Sea. Um, that's a paraphrase. So, yeah, so Moses uh, also, as Wallace has mentioned, he went up the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments direct from God. Um, so, that is important to know because... Yeah, that's where I'm going. Uh, so, in this story, like, you're like, what is going on? Why have these two very dead men showed up at this point on a mountain with Jesus and why he's, he's suddenly all shiny? Um, so, Elijah in this represents the prophets. So, we've talked about how Elijah's a prophet, and he represents all of these people throughout history that God has used, that God has spoken through to his people. Uh, and Moses represents the law. So, you've got the Ten Commandments, you've got like the entire book of Leviticus, like all of the laws that God has given his people to teach them what it means to be his people and how to be in right relationship with him. Um, so,. It's altogether, Elijah and Moses are representing like the old covenant, we call it. It's like the old way that God and human beings used to relate to each other. Um, and this, this moment kind of illustrates that the, all of the law and all of the prophets were pointing forward to the Messiah, were pointing forward to Jesus and to his sufferings. Um, Luke tells a story as well. And he talks about, he says that they were talking about Jesus's death and what was going to come. Like everything everything in the Old Testament, all of the law, all of the prophets, all of it is pointing forward to Jesus and to his death. Um, so there's that. But it's also God saying, like, this is my son. He's, he's above the law and he's above the prophets. Like, it's not that the the law was wrong or, or useless or a waste or anything, but it was pointing to something. It was going somewhere. And this is what it was going towards. This is like the final reveal at the end of the show, you know, it's like that, oh, moment, where you get what it was all headed towards. Um, so as well as that, as well as that, the transfiguration is also a demonstration that Jesus is everything he claimed to be. So, you, like, you can tell, he's God in the flesh. He is the son of the Father God. Uh, Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And, I mean, you can see that, like, his clothes become radiant. He's radiant. Uh Yeah, he's the Messiah, and he's the one that all the scriptures point towards. So, we will talk quickly about our theme, um, Sin, Holiness, and God, and just see what we can learn from what we've just read about those things. (sighs) So we'll start with sin, because that's the most depressing one. Um, so, So, just a couple things that I pulled out about sin from this passage. Thing one is that it is serious. I think we can be really blase about our sin we're like oh it's fine everybody's doing it oh oh it's fine god will forgive me you know and it's it's a serious thing jesus had to die because of our sin like it's not it's not just a thing it's like oh yes yeah, like it it's serious and we need to know that and i think we can be very irreverence the wrong words but like we don't grasp the, the weight of it we don't grasp how significant how serious it is that we were completely dead we're completely cut off from god because of our sin um, so, thing one about sin is it's serious, it costs Jesus' his life. Thing number two about sin is that it is dealt with. So Jesus paid for it, Jesus died to pay for our sin, uh, and he's he's bought us this new way of life that they were talking about in the Son of Man video. Um, it's sacrificial, but it's rich and it's abundant. And the fact that Jesus didn't just die, but he was raised from the dead, it proved that this payment has been accepted, that it was sufficient. That your sin is dealt with. If you put your faith in him, if you accept the gift that he's offering you, your sin's dealt with. It's forgiven. It's gone. It's done. Um, so that's what we learn about sin. And a couple of things that I think we learn about God from this, um, which you we're not looking at. So we'll go back. Cool. So... Things we learn about God. Um, He does not think the way that we think, and he does not do things the way that we do them. So, hang on, let's go this way. So this verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Like, that's not the way that we would do it, you know? That's, like, completely upside down to how we do it. But God doesn't do things the way that we do them. Um, And then verse 33, where Jesus turns around to Peter and goes, get behind me, Satan which sounds a bit harsh, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Like, God doesn't think the way that we, that we think, and we need to come into line with his agenda, not the other way around. Jesus doesn't say, oh, Peter, you're right. Sorry that I've been talking about dying. You're absolutely right. Let's do it your way. That's much better. Silly me. He says, get behind me, Satan. Because, like, I talked about a couple of weeks ago, Satan's agenda and God's agenda are total opposites. Like, and we need to make sure we're in line with the right one. Like, Peter, in this scenario, he's, he's far more in line with Satan than he is with God, which is why Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He's like hammering this point home. Um, so, yeah, God doesn't think the way we think. He doesn't do things the way we do them. We need to come into line with his agenda. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about to do with God is that he is holy and transcendent and glorious. Um, and seeing his glory is terrifying. So... If we talk about holiness, we have described that we've defined it as like being set apart. So like this, this difference, almost this otherness. Like God is not like us. He is holy. You know, he's he's beyond any frame of reference that we have. He's very different. He's other. So um, if that is what holiness is, then what is glory? I'm going to skip a bunch of this. So John Piper, the way that he talks about God's glory, um, and generally for most things, I agree with John Piper. Um, So, he says that God's glory is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It's the going public of his holiness. It's the way that he puts his holiness on display for people to see and understand. So, the glory of God is the holiness of God made clear, made obvious. Alright? I don't think we get this I don't think we get what it means that God is holy I don't think we get what it means that God is glorious like the <coughs> angels a bit earlier in this passage Jesus talks about the angels as being holy right but if you go to Isaiah Isaiah has this vision he's standing in the throne room of God and there is angels there you must have heard this before and they have a set of wings just to cover their eyes because they cannot look at God the angels themselves are described as holy but they cannot look at God because he is so holy. All right? They have another set of wings just to cover their feet because they cannot stand on the ground that he's standing on. The third set of wings they're using to fly because they can't, they can't stand on the same ground as him. He's so holy, they can't, they can't even bear to stand on the same ground. His presence is too much. It's overwhelming. It's like... C.S. Lewis talks about it like a weight, like a heaviness. Like it's like the weight of it fills everything, and there couldn't possibly be any space left for anything else. So Isaiah, when he's, when he's in this presence, when he's in the presence of God, he says he's undone. Like, he doesn't go, wow, that's pretty awesome. Like, he, he says, I am undone. Like, like, in comparison to the depth and the weight of the glory of God, he is so flimsy and insubstantial. He's like smoke. He's like breath. He's nothing. It's like this presence is somehow more real than anything else. It's so weighty and heavy and all-encompassing. It's everything. It's everywhere. And anything else is just nothing else in comparison. Everything that Isaiah is, is undone, is unraveled by the newness of God. So I will tell you a story from my life. Um, So I was at David's tent last year, uh, which is is a 72-hour non-stop worship fest. Um it's completely awesome, and if you have the chance to go, you should um, but I was worshipping as you do um, and I had this moment where i I glimpsed the smallest fraction of the glory of God. it was like it's like if someone walks out through the door and you see like the edge of their sleeve, you know or like the sole of their foot or something like the tiniest tiniest possible glimpse you could have of something and I was undone. I could not move. I was on my face on the floor for an hour. I just, I couldn't move. I I couldn't breathe. I couldn't go anywhere. I was like, I want to back into a corner and hide, but there's nowhere to go because he's everywhere. This entire vast attention of the God of the universe is fixed on me, you know? And, yeah. It's like, it was just like this, this intensity it was just surrounding me and I couldn't bear it. I actually thought I was going to die. Just that the sheer weight of his presence, just the depth of his existence was going to kill me. So I spent an hour on the floor. I couldn't speak for another hour after that. Charlie was with me. She was getting worried because I had to drive her home. But I was, <laughs> I was, I was a wreck. I, I could not talk to God for a week after this happened. like Normally I'm like, oh, hey God, how are you doing? This is my day. But like, I was like, I can't even think about talking to him because if I even think about talking to him, if I even think about him, I'm on my face on the floor again. Like, I was undone. I, was, I, had, I just didn't know how to talk to him. And it's not that I was scared that he was going to hurt me. This is really important to understand. It's not like I was waiting for a giant fist to crush me. It's not like I was going, God is really big and I'm just an ant and he doesn't even notice that I'm here, so I might get squished by accident, or God is really angry with me, so I'm toast. It's not like that. It's just I was so aware of the weight of his presence, just like the eternity of it and how it just fills everything and how fleeting I was in comparison. It's like a mayfly next to a mountain, but so much more so. And I knew as well that he could see all of me. Like, I had no defence and no mask and no excuse. Like, he could see every inch of me. He could see all the way through me. And that's terrifying. And again, it's not that I was scared of what he was going to do. I was just scared by nature of who he is and who I am. It's like the sun is the best example, best comparison that I have. Like, you get too close to the sun, it burns you up. It's not that the sun is, hates you. It's not that the sun is mean. It's not that the sun is out to get you. It's just, it's, it's what the sun is. So if you get too close, you get burned up. That's how it works. And I think it's something like that with the presence of God. But again, that's comparison that just doesn't do it justice because he is God. Uh, so elsewhere in Isaiah, it says that the Lord sits enthroned above the circles of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Like he's so high above us. He's so unlike us. His eyes see right through us and his presence is enough to rip us to pieces. So anytime in the Bible you see anybody encountering God and seeing something of his glory, they are terrified. So you've got the disciples here, they are terrified. Peter's like just talking rubbish because he doesn't know what to say, he doesn't know what to do, he's terrified. And you see that anytime anybody sees God in the Bible. So you've got that with Isaiah. And you've got John in Revelation. Jesus' is his best friend, he sees Jesus in all of his glory and he falls on his face like he's dead. Solomon. So we're back in the Old Testament, they build a temple for God. And they dedicate it to him and they're all like having a big party and it's great. And then the glory of God fills the temple and the priests can't go in and do their jobs because the glory of God is there. They're all on their faces. like They can't, they can't do anything just because the presence of God is there, the glory of God. Same with the angels in Isaiah's vision. They're just, any time any created thing comes into the presence of the creator, we're undone. But the thing about this God is that he doesn't stay out of reach on the mountain. He, if you keep reading this story in Mark 9 now, he comes back down into the world, Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth initially, and then like in a smaller picture of it, he comes back down from this transfiguration, this radiant moment, comes back down the mountain to humanity, to people. He doesn't stay out of reach. He, God intimately involves himself with humanity. And he wants us to know who he is, and he wants us to know what he's doing. So just in the passage that we have read... We get that he is the Messiah, that he intends to suffer and to die and to rise again, that he wants people to follow him, that he wants people to truly live, that he intends to bring holiness and glory to earth, that Jesus himself is God, and that he shares this radiant, glorious holiness of the Father, that the Father loves him, and that the Father trusts Jesus to speak on his behalf. You learn all that about God just in what we read tonight. Like, he wants us to know him. He wants us to know what he's like. So... These are some things about God. Um, I'm aware that I've just said a whole long list of things, um, and some different things might have struck different people in different ways. So, what I want to do for a few minutes is just take some time to uh, respond however you want, um, to obey God's command at the end of this and listen to Him. Because, uh, yeah, He's here, and He wants us to know Him, and He wants us to know what He's doing. And yes, he is glorious and he is holy and he is far too much for us to even bear, but he has made a way for us to come close. In the vision that Isaiah has, God makes a way for Isaiah to be made pure so that he can be in the presence of God. And that's what Jesus does for us. If you're in Jesus, he has made you pure so that you can come into the presence of God so that it doesn't kill you to be near his holiness. When we're in Jesus, we are not destroyed by his holiness, we are transformed by it. Um, So I have some questions just picking up on some of the things that i've said so they'll go up on the screen in a minute so if they are helpful to you in just processing then by all means use them but um more than that just take some time and be with god and listen to what you say okay and we'll go into worship after that and it would probably be good for all of you to space out like now click
2: y'all can't focus when y'all are poking each other oh.